Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Mass advertising. We are constantly interrupted with sales messages. And in 2013, we spent $500 billion globally on advertising. Is it working? Are you annoyed? I am. My guest today is Bernadette Jiwa. She is the author of three number one Amazon bestsellers on marketing. They are Make Your Idea Matter, The Fortune Cookie Principle, and her latest book, Difference, The One-Page Method for Reimagining Your Business and Reinventing Your Marketing. Bernadette is a brand story and marketing strategist working with entrepreneurs and business leaders from around the world, helping them to apply difference thinking to their businesses so they can intentionally craft and tell brand stories that communicate their difference. Bernadette's blog, thestoryoftelling.com, I'll have a link on this website, was voted the best Australian business blog in 2012, and she has been described as the female Seth Godin of the marketing world. Bernadette is here to discuss the difference and why story is so important in building your business. Bernadette, hello and welcome to my show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Corinne. So first off, can you explain to the listeners, what is the difference? So the reason I wrote this book is because I saw a lot of people struggling to apply old marketing principles that we've been living with for 50 years, a a model that was created really to market things to my grandmother. So we, we used to begin with a product. So we had an idea or for a product or service, and then we decided what price we were going to sell it at, at what, where we were going to sell it, and then we'd promote the heck out of it. So that old marketing mix model was the four Ps. And, you know, obviously the world has changed a lot since 1965, since Mad Men. (laughs) And, you know, we're not, we're not really listening to those messages anymore because we don't have to. So, uh, my clients were really struggling with this idea that, you know, they start with their product and then they just stick their marketing on to, to the product. So my idea in writing Difference was to create a model that would help them to bake their marketing into their product and start by thinking about people first and standing in people's shoes. We'll probably get to that, I'm sure, through the, through the conversation. Yes, if you can talk about the six different models, because you have the six Ps is what you've come up with. And if you can quickly go through which each, what each of the P's stand for. Yeah, so the first P is principles, and that's really the knob of everything I think we do. It's getting to the truth of the uh, truth of the market, the truth about us and as you know, owners or um, companies, the truth about us and the truth about the people we want to serve. And the next one, of course, is people. Um, you know, who are the people you want to market to or serve? Uh, what matters to them? Why should they care about your product? Uh, purpose? Uh, how, you know, why, do you, why are you doing what you do beyond money? 
Um, other things are personal. How, how are you making it personal? What perception? What do we want people to believe about our brand and how can we reverse engineer our business to create that belief? And then lastly, in, in my model, is the product. So when we think about all these things, what product do we bring to market that enables us to um, bring this model to life, basically? So Bernadette, with this model, the uh, your difference model, is this a way for people to create for product creation? It's for anything you care to do. I mean, even actually people who are just personal brands, people who want to market a service or an, an author who wants to write a book, it doesn't matter what it is you want to do in the world, you can use this model because however you want to show up in the world or in your career, you, you're, you're interacting with people, you know, you're, whatever you do, it doesn't matter if you're working in a big company, you still have to create some kind of difference every single day you go to work. So it's not just about products. One of my former guests, uh, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, who you refer to in yeah. your book, The Difference, yeah. I mean, one of her premises that she talked about is that we are all connected. And yeah. is that what you're speaking to here? Um, partly that we're connected, but also that we, we actually connect to things and people and brands and services that uh, make us feel like they understand us. So it's really interesting that a company like Apple really resonates with people or, you know, let's talk about the smaller companies like Airbnb. Mm -hmm. I mean, what they, not so small now, but at the outset, what they understood was that there were people out there that really didn't want a sanitized travel experience. Mm -hmm. So they found a way to make that connection with those people. And interestingly, their brand is all about connecting, isn't it? When you, when you think about the model of, going to share somebody's home. It's just an incredible um, other layer of connection added on to a service. It absolutely is. And um, so it sounds like with this difference, it's really about bringing people back to people or people back to things, that connection piece where before it was kind of like, um, here's what's coming down the funnel. Here is, here's what's being blasted out to the, to the masses. Tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I think the foundation, you're not wrong at all actually, but the foundation before the people piece is empathy. And I think corporations have been really, um, I don't want to say irresponsible, but they've really left people behind in thinking about uh, when they, you know, the past 50 years in the TV, TV industrial complex era, you know, when I was a kid, it was all about blasting messages at us and, and really the only thing the corporation cared about in those days was how much money they could get from you by blasting their messages at you and I think now we've, we're in a new era of um, businesses really standing in the shoes of the customers and, and which is fantastic because we're getting back to a place of I think deeper connection you know back to the village mentality even though we're in a global village now. Um, no, I agree with that. I do have a question about, you said before people, pe the people piece was empathy. Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah, I did. So, um, you know, you can't, 
market anything unless you or tell a story about your product or or do business in any kind of real way unless you understand why it should matter to the people you want to serve. Uh, if you look at the most successful businesses of the last five years, they've been businesses that started from a po- from that from that point. So if we take if we look at Warby Parker, for example, mm-hmm. um, who started selling prescription glasses online. I mean, the premise of their whole business is this truth piece. What how thinking how people felt when they lost a seven hundred dollar pair of prescription glasses and how badly that sucked um so they just reinvented you know people say they disrupted the um prescription eyewear industry i like to think that what warby parker did was they disrupted people and they changed how it felt to buy glasses they changed how we um you know we we buy glasses and we stick with them for 2 years until our prescription needs updating but they changed all that now our eyeglasses are much more accessories and people you know buy more than one pair from Warby Parker they don't just buy one pair and stick with it for for 2 years so they changed how how people felt about glasses the same as apple changed our relationship with our phone <laughs> yes <laughs> Who would have thought we'd be walking around with computers in our pockets all day long? I was at the gym before our call this morning. So we're talking between 6 and 7 a.m. And there there are girls there who between, this is a body pump class, between tracks they have to check their phone. They oh have goodness. to see what's going on on Facebook. It's crazy. <laughs> I want to go back, Bernadette, to the principles part because um, in that part, that's about your beliefs, right? It's about a few things. It's it's about if I've, I've divided it into three sections because here's the challenge for everybody: if you don't know the truth about the market, what exists in the marketplace, then how can you actually improve upon that or bring? you know, create some difference there for customers. So it's about the it's about the truth that's in the marketplace. The the beliefs part comes in, uh, I guess, when you think about the truth about your customers and the truth about you. So, you know, understanding your values and, and your beliefs and your customers' values and beliefs comes in in that in that uh, piece in principles. So if principles is all about the truth. So what's the truth and how do we get to that truth? So it's about asking questions. I don't think we ask enough questions, quite honestly, about before we set out to do stuff. So in preparation for this interview, I had somebody send me a question for you is how do you know it's the truth and not just wishful thinking when it comes to the principles part of the process? Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess... From your, it depends on your perspective. I mean, how do you know it's the truth? You have to really dig. Um, sometimes you're taking your best guess, and that is for sure. I mean, somebody like it's a business like Airbnb, they had a hunch. Um, they did it. They did something small, and that's. I think that's what a lot of these new businesses do. They start out with something small, and they test it in the marketplace instead of building a big factory and and that's the great thing that's a great opportunity that's open to us now is that you don't have to own a massive big factory to put your ideas out there into the world you can do it small scale 
So if you want to know the truth about how um, your product's going to be received in the marketplace, you can test it. So that's one of the ways. And I, I see, you know, if we think about Eric Ries and the Lean Startup, um, if I'd really recommend that book to people because that's what he recommends you do. You know, to, uh, start small, test it, and then um, adjust. Yeah, that's definitely an important step to go and test and start small. And we can do that nowadays with this day and age that we have in the internet and the much easier shipping process than the barriers that we had, say, 20 years ago, can't we? Yeah, when you think about something like Instagram, I mean, they started off, they're a great example of, they thought something was true. They had a whole app that was called Bourbon and the photo sharing piece was just one tiny piece of it. And what they saw um, was that was that was the piece that people were using. So getting to the truth is actually about doing stuff and then also learning how to see. I mean, that's a really important part, you know, watching what people do and not just listening to what people say. Hugely important. Ooh, I like that. Doing stuff and learning how to see. Can, yeah. you, can, how, can you say more about that? Learning how to see. The learning how to see part is really interesting because we actually don't do that very often. And, you know, I have to, the reason I have to learn how to see is it's my business. So I blog three times a week and I sit and watch what people are doing, what customers are doing in a cafe. And then that's how I get inspiration to help other businesses, you know, when I see gaps. So if you noticing things like how often people look at their phones on the train, noticing that the girls are, you know, taking their phones out at the gym, understanding how what's going on around you and, and what the people that you want to serve do every day. And sort of going through their day and understanding where you might fulfill the tiniest gap in their desire in, in that whole sequence of their day is a really powerful thing. That's really interesting. So it's really being in that open, non-judgmental space to see what's going on. Exactly. Not making assumptions, mm -hmm. which, which we do quite a bit. Um, there's an amazing story in a book called um, Hidden in Plain Sight. It's by a guy called Jan Chipchase. And he does a lot of seeing stuff for, for big clients. And he noticed that these, these girls in Eastern um, countries were wearing braces as accessories because and they didn't need braces, but they wore them as accessories because they were a status symbol. Because um, <laughs> you could afford braces. They were just like dummy braces you could buy in the market, you know. It's like, wow. carrying, a, like carrying a Gucci bag over there, apparently. <laughs> wow. So you can learn a lot. Um, and so the principles part, you know, trusting, testing, or, or not trusting the truth, finding out, figuring out what the truth is, listening to your own truth, um, testing it out, learning to see those sound like pretty important steps as we're figuring out this truth that we believe in. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think if you want to bring anything to market, that's now there's no other way of doing it because, um, you know, it, you don't want to make expensive mistakes. You want to make small mistakes quickly. 
Mm-hmm. So if you don't understand the truth, then you might make a big mistake very slowly and that could sink you. And the opportunity is there for us. You know, it's on, you can check out what people are talking about on Facebook or Twitter. Um, there's a fantastic Australian clothing brand called Black Milk Clothing. My biggest regret in, in the whole book is that I didn't actually profile them um, and and write up a case study of them. But they are incredible at learning how to recognize what's true for their customers because they just interact with them all the time. They're on Facebook. Um, they've created a business where they can respond quickly to what their their customers want. And then through that, they've created great connections. So if you understand, that's that's the next piece of it. If you understand the truth and you're responding to people's real needs, then you know, you, you're really creating great advocates then because people love you for being that person who or that brand who can offer that kind of service to them that they don't normally get. And is that what is different because in the past or what some corporations will still use as focus groups? Because isn't that what they were attempting to do with focus groups? Yeah, you know, I have a thing about focus <laughs> groups. I sighed there a little bit. I, yeah, I, I exhaled. The thing about focus groups is they rely on you coming up with a a logical explanation about why you don't like that or why you like this. Why did you like the red packaging? Um, Would you use this product? And going back to Jill Bolte-Taylor, we think that, um, you know, we're much more rational than we actually are. And, And she's got a great quote, which is, we are actually feeling creatures who think. We feel first and we think later. So if you show me something some amazing new product in a focus group, I look at it and say, well, I I react to it. I've got a gut reaction. And then I have to explain to you why I had that reaction. It's not probably very logical. So I'm coming up with some kind of logical explanation. If you think about how we buy homes, for example, a lot... You buy a home purely on instinct and then you start to rationalize why you made that (laughs) million dollar decision. It's in a really good area. And oh, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely the up and coming area and it's close to schools and you you buy it on your gut and then you you backtrack Mm -hmm. to justify the decision. So that's the that's my hunch on focus groups. Okay. And then you say that in order, in your book, The Difference, you say in order to do that, you need to understand the story that people want to believe and become invested in. Because the truth is that you can't change how people think or what they do without changing how they feel. Yeah. Where does their story and your story line up? Yeah. And and so is that also about finding, first, when you're talking about the story and the truth, but isn't it also about you matching up with your tribe, like the customers being part of your tribe? It's certainly about you understanding what difference you want to create in the world. I mean, that's also part of it. But let's say, um, you know, you want to open a bakery. Um, you've got to think about, well, what sort of things, like the the little bakery I profile in the book, by the way, bakery, which is gluten-free and dairy-free, 
Now, Helene, who, who owns and runs that amazing little bakery, operates from a place of, well, these are the things I'm not going to compromise on. So I have to, I have to find people who's, um, or, and I have to tell the kind of story that the, these values are going to attract the same kind of people. And that's sort of what happens, isn't it? So when you think about, um, when you think about somebody who's going to go to Whole Foods as opposed to somebody who just wants the, you know, the cheapest price point, they have they have values that are aligned. When you think of somebody who shops at Patagonia for a product that's going to last for twenty years, they're not thinking about throwaway fashion. So aligning your values with your customers and, and and being really clear about what your values are on the flip side of that so that your customers you're attracting the right customers and you're each part of each other's story is really really important so with it you're not trying to go and make people who like for instance with the whole food story who really want to um, get the cheapest deal around those aren't the people that you're trying to engage with your story is that what you're saying yeah, that's the that's the diff, that's the change that that's come about. You know, if you think about mass market uh, when you know forty years ago when I was a kid, it was let's attract everybody, let's get everybody the market of everyone into our store. And I talk about tiny markets of someone. Mm-hmm. So really attracting, really doing things that turn off a lot, turn off the people you don't want to attract and. Attract and magnetize the people you do want to attract. You know, Patagonia is is not for people who just want throwaway fashion or people who don't care about uh, their impact on the world and people who who want to spend who just want the cheap thing and they're going to keep replacing their products, their clothing every every season. That's not the Patagonia model, so they're not going to be driven to shop with them. Okay. And you talk about, um, so it's about making subtle differences, right? It's not about trying to change people's own core beliefs about them or what they value. It's, there may be subtle changes or you're making an awareness of something and like the Aaron, Aaron, Aaron B, right? That was, that's a new thing in a way. And in some ways it's not because we have VRBOs, but it's, it's a little quaint, and its connection. And so for people who are tired of the hotel situation, or maybe looking at different home rental sites, the Airbnb is a great site for them. And it's like, it's a shift from what they may have had before. Yeah, the interesting thing about Airbnb was they they started from a point, well, actually, there are people out there who want a more intimate, authentic experience. There are people out there who don't want to pay $8 for nuts from a minibar. There are people out there who don't need six pillars in the pillar menu, but they would really love to come and, you know, I, my, my family and I stayed in a gorgeous um, apartment in Sydney at Christmas and New Year. And you know what was really cool is we went in there and we could use spices and, you know, we had, we had everything there that we wouldn't have normally had in a hotel room or even a self-catering apartment where we would have had to, um, you know, go out and do a massive shop. We could actually, it felt like going and staying at my sister's house, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, just a whole different shift. You feel like a local. Um, so it, it was a case of 
are there people who really want this? Yes, there are. Let's let's build this thing for them. You know, we're not appealing to the people who want the seven star experience with the, the six, you know, pillows on the menu. And, and actually, to be honest, they have awesome seven star beautiful accommodation and they've got but they've got something for everyone but they started from a place of let's let's think about how we can change how people travel and see the world so something that just came to me bernadette is that it's not only like finding that market of what of that you want to serve but it's also getting in in line with your own why why do you mm. want to do it right that's that's the that's another part of the difference, isn't it? Yeah, um, because, you know, if you really don't care about creating that difference, people will know. It shows. Um, all of these brands that I've talked about, Warby Parker, Black Milk Clothing, Airbnb, their founders are super passionate about the difference they can create for, you know, however, num whatever number of customers they serve. You know, they started off tiny, all of them. Um, but they've just grown be because of the word of mouth that, you know, mostly, I mean, black milk clothing don't do any paid advertising. It's all word of mouth. They sell, they sell these really cool nylon, nylon leggings. It's a really great story. Uh -huh. Um, and they have a, they have a real tribe around their business. Um, and they have, you know, they started, I think, in 2009 with just a blog and no, so the founder is a guy in Brisbane. He started with a blog called Too Many Tights. They had no <laughs> idea, they had, they had no product at this point. So this is, this, they're a really great story in terms of mapping, you know, using the difference map. Too Many Tights was a blog. They had no product. The, the guy couldn't sew. He never, he never created a, a, you know, a garment before in his life. In 2010, he went and he uh, pawned his CD player for a sewing machine and he taught himself how to sew with $6 worth of nylon. It's a great story. So he's a super passionate guy. It, it's really this creating something for the people who just loved it. Uh, so every time he sold a pair of leggings, he used that money to buy more fabric to create. It was like the elves and the shoemakers story, you know. I'll create four pairs of leggings now from this, from the profit that I, from these two that I've sold. So it, it, back to your point, if you're not passionate about the difference you're creating, then then what's the point of getting up every morning? Number one and number two, um, people know, people feel it. We feel it when we go into a restaurant and, and th that attention to detail is there and people really care about giving us a good time. And that goes back to that Jill Bolte-Taylor quote that you said, we are feeling yeah. people, right? Yeah, yeah. We feel first and we think later. <laughs> so with, um, with this, are we, like, because I think about that and how this gentleman grew his business right? Because somebody else was probably raving to their friend, friends about it. And then they, there was that trust factor because it's friend telling friend. Yeah. And are we, have we become distrustful of the mass media, of the advertising that's been going on? I think we've felt that way for a while. Um, if you look at some of the stats, uh, since 2005, the return on investment for, from advertising has been about 4% from traditional advertising. Um, and you know, the reason that we 
big corporations still still do it is because of fear. You know, um, I tell this story about when I my first marketing lesson was when I was a five year old, and you know, in those days you couldn't. There was no room in our working class neighborhood in the houses to bring people into the house to play because you know they were so tiny and so many people lived there. So you, people would play in your garden. And the big deal was, you know, if you were popular, you, you could get people to come and play in your garden. So how did you get to be popular? You either were a good runner or good at games or you had good toys and I can't run to save my life. So I had a really great um, doll. She was, she was just amazing. I used to bring her out to attract my friends. So this is advertising, you know bring her out to the doorstep. She wasn't really designed for playing with this doll. The f- friends would come, and as soon as you put the doll away, the friends would go. I couldn't understand <laughs> this at age five. You know, why aren't they st- sticking around? And, you know, what I recognize now is that like a five-year-old little girl, we're all, fra- all afraid, including big corporations, of being invisible. Um. So that's why I think they advertise because, you know, they, they need the attention to fuel their business. And also the people who work there are afraid of saying to the boss, actually, we're, we're invisible. So they've got to do something about that. Well, and they think, don't they think with the mass advertising, that's the easiest way to catch the biggest net to get as many people as we can and forget about the connection. We just need them to buy because it comes down to the bottom line. Yeah, because, you know, I think people, not everyone, mm-hmm. I think big corporations feel like advertising is a shortcut to mattering to your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're giving away pizzas two for one and you advertise that, people will come that day that you're giving them away two for one. Will they come? Will they care about you tomorrow when pizza's a regular price? Probably not. They'll go to the next guy who's advertising two for one. So that's not how you can create loyalty and connection and belonging and and love. Well, and so Bernadette, so we've talked about the corporations, but do, isn't this happening? And sometimes in the online world with the blueprints and the pressure to sell and some of the tactics that we are now seeing in the online world with businesses and with with numbers and trying to show everybody that look. There's these amount of numbers, so now I'm trustworthy, so jump on this bandwagon. Yeah, there's a lot of that. You're, you're quite right. So people will say to you, how big is your list mm-hmm. and how much traffic do you get to your website and how many unique uniques do you get? And I, the words that I hate are traffic uniques and <laughs> prospects and, um, you know, because here's the thing, every single blip on your Google Analytics is somebody who's out there looking for someone. And if you want to create a business that resonates, you've got to think about that one person who's coming with a problem or looking for something, whether that's to be entertained or inspired or informed or whatever it is that they need. They're coming to you. So how much of a privilege is that Mm -hmm. in, in a world where People, the scarcest resource they've got is time. So how can we label those people as traffic? <laughs> that is an excellent question. You know, it's it's one of those things because somebody, a while back I was uh, pitching somebody to come on my show and um, 
they wanted to know the list size. And that's not something that I share because for me, those are numbers. How do you measure the emails that come in, right? Mm -hmm. The letters that I receive of how the show has affected their life. I I can't measure that. And that's what, and so I wound up copying because an email had come in just right before I got that and I copied it and I pasted in. I said, how do you measure this? Right. And what was the response? They stopped asking the question. <laughs> and did they come on the show? Um, it eventually got wound up getting canceled. So here's the thing: they weren't your they weren't your customer. Just like you know, the throwaway fashion person is not the Patagonia customer. They weren't for you. They weren't part of your tribe. So that's fantastic. No, and it, it was really good. And then later on, I wound up meeting a woman who had actually worked with this um, person, this guest, and been like behind the scenes of her company and. Um, she was she had talked about how this person was so into list building that she was burning her list because she was out because you know once once after she got done promoting what she needed to other people then she owed to and so Mm. she was promoting on her list and people were just dropping off her list like flies so do you go for numbers or do you go for impact um me i go for impact exactly yeah (laughs) and that's what that's what the great brands and businesses of our time do. You know, there's a beautiful video of Steve Jobs and somebody asks him, do you want to make something like, do you want to, is, is it your goal to, you know, be bigger than the PC or to make, make the most computers basically? And he said, it's our goal to make computers that we're proud of and that we're proud to recommend to our family and friends and that, you know, people who um, want to, you know, who are creative, who want to use them to make a difference in their lives, uh, use. And that's such a good answer. That was the real genius of Steve Jobs, that he was really empathetic, in my view. Not that I ever met him, obviously, but a lot of people would say, well, he was a hard taskmaster and um, you know, he, he was he was an angry person and he, you know, he didn't see other per, the other person's point of view. But I think he understood what uh, the impact of his products or the products that Apple made could make in the world and could make for each person. He, I think he thought in terms of one person at a time and what difference his products and their products could make for people as opposed to thinking, well, if we make it this way, we take that shortcut, we can shift X number of, of phones next year. Well, you know, don't you think it's because when you, you mentioned anger, we think of anger as a bad thing. But really, when yeah. a person is angry, it's because they passionately care. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but people would say that's because, you know, then people would say, well, he was really unreasonable, but he was he was so invested in this thing being right for the people he wanted to matter to that it had to be right. Mm-hmm. And look at what he created, something that's changed the world. Yeah. It's literally absolutely. changed the world. So it's one of those hard things because while we want greatness, we don't realize sometimes I think that um, the depth that actually has to happen to have those things. And, yeah, uh, and. And the sacrifices, mm-hmm. I guess, that you've got to make personally to be to be the person who's always thinking what the other another human being wants. And with that said, I don't want listeners to be emailing me and saying, you know, Corinne, it's, you've had Brene Brown on. You're not talking that it's okay to shame. You know, there's still appropriate and inappropriate yeah. things, right? And we're not saying that this is the ideal way to innovate. It was his way. And if we can understand that anger 
can mean that somebody really cares. There's still appropriate ways, but we're not expecting everybody to be totally perfect. And who knows the whole story? I mean, I've, I've never been there. Um, you've never been there. You, nobody knows the whole story of how he actually operated in the world. You can watch the movie. That doesn't, that's not the truth, <laughs> is it? It's, it's, a, it's movie. a movie. So nobody, nobody knows the, the real truth. All we know is that we feel the difference mm -hmm. in whatever comes from that company. And I don't think it's somebody who really cares about people who are going to open boxes and, and take those products out of them would, with that attention to detail, would ship something so amazing without empathy. There's just no way. And as we sit here, I have an iMac, an iPad, and an iPhone in front of me, so we know where my bias lands. Yeah. So I want to go back to this numbers piece because we are in this world of numbers and numbers and numbers as a metrics. And one of the things that you say in your book is in the real world, a disproportionate amount of value is placed on the tangible things we can easily explain or put our finger on. Of course, it's easier to place a value on what can be weighed and measured. And yet all around us every day, we are surrounded by proof that soft innovations, relatively inexpensive, sometimes intangible, but well-considered enhancements of an experience like a package design or outstanding customer service, things that can change how people feel of a product or service and create emotional points of difference have a real world value. Why? Well read. <laughs> Well, well written. Why is that so hard for us to really live by? Uh, look, we're very stuck with this hard sticker price thing, you know. Um, we really are. And it's hard to do. That's the other thing. It's hard to think about. If you think about a macaron, for example, you know those little French, mm -hmm. I don't know how you've got them in the States, haven't you? Yes. I don't know how ubiquitous they are. They're everywhere here now in Australia. Uh, but those things are $3 and probably $3 where you are too. It's not even a bite. It's a tiny little, it's not even a cookie. It's a mouse. It's not even a bite. So you you know, you can eat that thing and you, your stomach doesn't even know you've had it. But here's the thing about a macaron. When you're, when you're a woman wrestling with yourself in front of a cake cabinet and you're thinking, oh, well, I have the big piece of chocolate cake or will I have this, you know, this, this little thing. It, it's, a, it's a tiny little treat with damage limitation built in. So, you know, we, we don't have to. So that, there's all the value in a macaron to me is that it, it changes how we feel about ourselves. You know, it's, it's actually okay to do that thing. The same with, you know, Starbucks, you know, Starbucks, coffee used to be a $1 commodity and suddenly <laughs> it's a $4 indulgence. You know, I'm, it's part of my ritual. It's, it's how I start my day. <laughs> we, we find, I think we're getting better at understanding that that, you know, our value is not just trading this for that, you know, X dollars worth of ingredients for X, X percentage of profit that, you know, we see that all around us every day. The $4 cup of coffee is a classic example. Mm -hmm. I think we're getting better. 
why is the art of storytelling so important in this new, um, I don't know if it's era or this, when you talk about the difference? So when you talk about the difference model, why is storytelling so important? Well, that's here's the thing. It goes back to the Joe Bulgy Taylor. We feel first and we think later. Um, you know, you can imagine even when people used to trade um, flint for things that they needed, you know, in this, in, years ago, um, centuries and eons ago, that there was emotion involved in those transactions. Uh, everything has got emotion involved in it, everything we do. So storytelling and also the, here's the other piece about storytelling. Storytelling is not just narrative. It's it's giving people clues in other ways like design is part of your story and your your words and your website copy are part of your story. The kind of staff you hire are part of your story, your uniforms. So storytelling in the business sense is not just a, how do we tell people about us. It's how do we build up a whole picture of who we are, what we stand for, why we care about serving these people, and and how do we show them why they should care. So would part of storytelling be about the conversation? In terms of what, what well, are you thinking about the so conversation, Colin? As you were talking, I was thinking about um, the too many tights. Right. There was a yeah, conversation. Yeah. So there was a part of a story that was being talked and or how black milk clothing and how they have this interaction with mm. their customers on Facebook. Right. And that keeps them plugged in. So is that part of the storytelling when there's that conversation that's happening? Well, part of our story isn't even told by us, uh, you know, whether that's personally or as a company. You know, if you if you talked like the story you just told me now about the person we didn't name, but, you know, you have got a story now in your mind about that person who wants to know the metrics before she she wants to understand the, the impact. So part of our story isn't even told by us. Um, it's It's told by our customers. Um, and increasingly so every single day. So tapping into your customer's story and understanding what they believe and working out how you can become part of that story is really crucial. You know, the Black Milk guys, I've bought a pair of leggings from them. I'm probably about 20 years too old and, and one foot too short to wear their <laughs> clothes, but I wanted to buy these things. And this, they come in a... You know, it's, it's standard packaging, but the letter that comes at them is just hilarious. And they say, be warned, when you go out in these things, people will touch your legs, you know. And it's 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 just getting inside the head of, of um, maybe not me, maybe somebody 20 years younger than me has gone, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be out there noticed, you know, mm -hmm. and, and loved. So when I put on these leggings. <laughs> which I think I just may have to get from my daughter. Um, so how do we become, how do we work to become part of their story? Is that what the example was when they had told you in the letter, in the package, and that's how they're working to become part of your story? Look, they how they've worked to become part of our story is understanding the story we want to tell about ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, Apple do this really well. Um you know, they really get to, they go, we get back to this truth and empathy piece. They can actually see how we, uh, we're thinking. They can sense how we're feeling. 
Um, if you go onto the Black Milk Clothings, I feel like an advertorial for these guys. <laughs> no, I'm not sponsored by Black Milk Clothing. But if you go onto their Instagram account, it's amazing. Um, just I think they've got 800,000 followers almost on Instagram. And it's amazing to see how each girl who would post something on on her you know her, her selfie in her black milk stuff is different and trying to do her thing to be unique in the world and I think these guys get that you know we want a little bit of you know uniqueness we want to it's all about our personal identity and they get that because they live it every day with us they pay attention Ooh, they pay attention. So that's they they've learned how to see their people. They they have learned how to see and it's smart business. It's not just but they they haven't done it from the you have to do it from a place of authenticity. You have to really care, you know. Not do I want to shift um ten thousand more pairs of leggings this month. It's you know, what would really get them excited? So the so these guys take suggestions from their from their customers and then they they, they don't manufacture overseas, they manufacture in Australia, which is really rare so that they can be really responsive and do short uh, product runs. Um, yeah, it's, it's just being learning how to see your customers and being able to, constructing your business so you can respond to, to what you see. So do they ship to the US? <laughs> they have got such a following in the US, it's ridiculous. Oh, okay, um, good. They've got meetups, just the founder and the marketing director. And, you know, they've got crazy fans who come and they've got a whole tribe called Sharkies. And, yeah, we could do a whole program on them. Well, so isn't it fascinating? Here is an example. You have told this your, your story about this company. And I, once we get done with this interview, I will be going on my computer and looking at their stuff and probably buying leggings for my daughter for her birthday, for my teenage daughter. Yeah. And she will love them and she will tell her friends uh, because, her no, actually her friends will go, oh my God, where did you get those <laughs> leggings? They're cool. Um, and, and so it, it's, it, here's the other piece, you, you know, your product, although product is six in, in, the, in the difference model, your product's still got to be good. I mean, you can't just be, be all touchy-feely and, and then ship a really rubbish product because that's not going to work. But if it all stacks up, if you've got all those ducks in a row, starting with the understanding of your of your customer, you're not going to the, the the truth is you're not going to ship a product that doesn't meet their expectations because you understand each other. Well said. And I just want to reiterate again for the listeners, this is different than the corporate model where it's about how can we make money and not being in line with our own values. Because what you're talking about is as the creator, as the business person, you're lining up with your values and you're also listening to your tribe and what they want and how those two can meet, aren't you not? You are. And what's really interesting, I guess, it, you know, some corporations have done that. Um, like Apple are a classic example. Steve Jobs' values were it's got to be the most beautiful thing in the world and it's got to be the first phone that people fall in love with. They were his, his values were we value design. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of there are big companies out there. I, I I won't say lots, but there are big and growing companies out there who are really financially successful. Um, 
because they are very aligned with their values. Warby Parker being an incredible example of that. They're a B Corp. They have a sustainable uh, business. They give back. Um, you know, they've got a one-for-one model where for every pair of glasses they sell, they they donate a pair. Um, everything that they do is aligned with the founders' values and including who they employ and yeah, it's just it's just good business now. Um, you also talk a lot in your book about how the the key to creating a difference is to, and this is from your book, is to make something that changes how people feel and makes them ju- fall just a little more in love, not with what we sell, but with ourselves, with themselves. Can you say more about that? Well. Think of anything that you spend money on nowadays. Um, Think of all the brands we've spoken about, Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. I shop at Whole Foods because I care about, uh, not that we have Whole Foods here, but here's a Whole Foods (laughs) customer. I I wish we did. I shop at Whole Foods because I care about what goes into my body. I care about my health and I'm going to invest in my body and and keeping myself healthy. Um, I, I spend $4.00 on a coffee every morning because you know I work hard it's it punctuates my day it's my ritual it's my 10 minutes for myself and I'm worth it um I'm going to buy a pair of black milk leggings because I wanted to stand out and look awesome at that party on Saturday night so um we're not buying products really to um you know I I don't you might think you love apple but you love what apple enables you to do how it enables you to sit, you sit down at your MacBook, you, you start to feel creative. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's about you. It's not about, the, it's not about the company. You walk into the Apple store and you think, yeah, I belong here as a creative, um, you know, uh, first, uh, not with my kids call me a digital immigrant. I'm a digital, uh, yeah, I'm a digital <laughs> native. I'm in the Apple store. <laughs> Just because you go into the Apple Store, Mom, doesn't mean you're a digital native. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad used to always say to me growing up, he goes, "This had to do with the friends and the friends you chose." But he would say, "You are your environment, right?" Yeah. And so, if you love design and creativity and stuff, and you love to be in the Apple stores, I mean, that is that's in essence what he was saying. He didn't realize that you could apply it to products or brands. Yeah, and when you think about the blue box, the Tiffany's thing, you know, what's mm-hmm. that about? You know, you get a if somebody gave you a Tiffany's blue box and you didn't know what was in there, you'd be excited already. <laughs> Don't need to open the box. Um, as we wrap up here, to what are a couple takeaways for entrepreneurs who want to start telling their story? People first, truth first and standing in people's shoes, you know, standing in the shoes of the people you want to serve. That's a bit of a cliche. We say that, we say that a lot, but you know, here's the thing. It isn't the person with the greatest idea who wins. It's the person with the greatest understanding of what matters to people. Um, I think Steve Jobs being a classic example of that. And the only way that we're going to get our customers to see us is if we really see who they are first. So that's what comes first. We need to see our customers. 
Yeah, which is which is backwards from how we've been doing it for 50 years. Yes, because it's they are the expert. We just need to follow along. Well, they are the expert at knowing how they want to feel and how they, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what they care about. If or- <laughs> we, we need to know who we need. That's the other piece. We need to know who we want to attract into our tribe. The people who don't care just about numbers, but who care about depth. Not somebody who just wants a 10-minute snippet, a snacky type podcast, but somebody who wants something a bit more deep in mm-hmm. your, in your, for you. In your case? Yeah. So for my, for my case, my people, it's about they want to have connection and conversation and they want to get beyond the sound bite, right? And to yeah. go really deep. And so they're going to spend the hour listening to this. And they like a podcast because it is portable, right? Yeah. Even though I'm broadcast on radio, the, the portability factor I keep hearing over and over again is where they're going to hear it from versus, yeah. oh, I jumped in on the air while I was driving, but then I got off because... I had to go do something else. So so if you didn't understand the truth about what your customers wanted, how they live and your, and your listeners wanted, how they live every day, what their, what their life looks like, you know, are they, where are they when they're listening to this? Are they in the car? They're stuck in the car on the way to, you know, a traffic jam or are they in the kitchen at night making dinner? You, you've got to, you're, you're there with them already mm-hmm. before you even switch on the recording. Yeah, no, I there. I'm with them in the car, doing house cleaning, going to the gym, going for a walk, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In the kitchens, I'm with them in a lot of different places. That really is unique to their life. So hopefully, that's an okay way to say unique. Well, it is, and <laughs> and what a privilege to be able to do that. It's you know? it is and, a true and, privilege. And the opportunity is open to every single one of us. Yes, Bernadette. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's just been amazing to talk to you. Well, thank you. This is Corinne Motokaitis. You've been listening to How She Really Does It. And my guest today is Bernadette Jiwa, and she is the author of her latest book, Difference, The One-Page Method for Reimagining Your Business and Reinventing Your Marketing. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. 
I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so. Sold-